Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, here we are again, now in part three of this lectionary trilogy on covenant. Two weeks ago, it was God's unconditional covenant with all of creation following the great flood. Last week, it was God's covenant with the descendants of Abraham, Sarah, and later, Hagar. And today, we get another covenant, one that God makes with the people of Israel on Mount Sinai through the giving of the law known as the commandments. Now, these commandments in the Decalogue, as it's also called, they're so familiar. I mean, how many of you were thinking of Charlton Heston, right? Heck, you can Google Ten Commandments and find them for just about anything. Golf, marriage, men. I even found one from a cat, which included... Thou shalt have no other pets before me. <laughs> thou shalt be grateful that I even give thou the time of day. And remember my food dish and keep it full. Now anyone who has ever lived with a cat can understand, right? And while cats believe they are gods, and they weren't, were thought of that way, in some cultures, something they never want us humans to forget. These commandments we heard today from the book of Exodus are the ones given to humankind by the one true God. They're so nice, we get them twice, as they are also featured in the book of Deuteronomy. And to be clear, as my dear friend and colleague, Father Jim Warnke, once said, they are, in fact, commandments. And even though we are Episcopalians, they have not been renamed the Ten Interesting Suggestions. Now, I started this sermon talking about these Lenten scriptures as being about covenant. And you might be left wondering, what have these commandments to do with that? The thing is, the law we hear today is not about restricting us. Quite the opposite. The commandments are really there to ensure that we stay connected in a relationship of respect, care, and love. They're about freedom and identity. Ours and God's. A free life is one in which we recognize that we are God's beloved children and that all of creation, even cats, are of God. A free life means we do not hurt our neighbor. We respect one another and we respect God. We give ourselves Sabbath rest. We respect our elders. We are content enough 
in who we are, that we have no jealousy of anyone or anything. For those searching for the purpose-driven life, look no further. Because jealousy, hatred, disrespect, constantly working rather than constantly loving, all of it is a self-made prison. And these commandments of God, they aren't complicated either. You know, Christ boiled it down for us. All ten amount to doing two major things, loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Well, and speaking of Jesus, he wasn't a very happy guy today in the gospel, right? Our Lord and Savior went into the temple, found it filled with folks who were using it to make a profit, often at the expense of the poor. They had defiled the place where others seek God by using it as a place to make a buck. The very place where one should be given restoration and renewal on the Sabbath had become a place where one was fleeced in order to follow some doctrine of conduct around sacrifice and coin imagery. Now, I've said before, there's nothing wrong with the money-changing tables. This was not always the way things were. These money-changing tables originally were meant to help people exchange Roman coinage for temple coinage, as the Roman coinage had the image of the emperor on it, a symbol of idolatry not allowed in the sacred space of the temple. The tables were also there to allow people to purchase sacrificial animals to offer in thanksgiving. I know, horrific for us to consider today, but it was the practice of the faithful then. But greed had taken over. And these were now places where people were cheated in order to follow the temple laws. If there was one thing Jesus was, it was a rule breaker. Jesus broke the rules all the time. Not because he didn't value the temple or God's laws. Quite the opposite. His rule breaking was to remind us that we should never value doctrine over a relationship with God and all of God's creation. Because in many respects, that is worshiping idols, valuing human actions rather than divine ones, as we heard Jesus say to Peter last week. This is what following the commandments is all about. I know. Nowhere does it say, thou shalt overturn the tables of thy temples. But if we follow them, there will be a need for us to do as Jesus did in the gospel. Maybe not at houses of worship, but sometimes there, to be sure. 
And this week, our country remembers some folks who did exactly that, who followed the commandments by overturning tables of injustice. March 7th is the 59th anniversary of Bloody Sunday, a pivotal moment in the civil rights movement. And boy, did these brave souls knock over a few proverbial tables. In the words of the late, great Representative John Lewis, who was nearly killed that day, this is what happened. In Selma, Alabama, in 1965, this is, I'm quoting, by the way. Only 2.1% of blacks of voting age were re registered to vote. The only place you could attempt to register was to go down to the courthouse. You had to pass a so-called literacy test. And they would tell people over and over and over again that they didn't or they couldn't pass the literacy test. On one occasion, a man was asked to count the number of bubbles on a bar of soap. On another, a man was asked to count the number of jelly beans in a jar. There were African-American lawyers, doctors, teachers, housewives, college professors flunking this so-called literacy test. And we had to change that. So we sought to march. And we got to the top of that bridge. We saw a sea of blue, Alabama state troopers, and we continued to walk. We came within hearing distance of the state troopers and a man identified himself and said, I'm Major John Cloud of the Alabama State Troopers. This is an unlawful march. It will not be allowed to continue. I give you three minutes to disperse and return to your church. And one of the young people walking with me, leading the march, a man by the name of Hosea Williams, who was on the staff of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., said, Major, give us a moment to kneel and pray. And the Major said, Troopers, advance. And you saw these guys putting on their gas masks. They came toward us beating us with nightsticks and bullwhips, trampling us with horses. I was hit in the head by a state trooper with a nightstick. I had a concussion at the bridge. My legs went out from under me. I felt like I was going to die. I thought I saw death. All these many years later, I don't recall how I made it back across that bridge to the church. 
But after I got back to the church, the church was full to capacity, more than 2,000 people on the outside trying to get in to protest what had happened on the bridge. And someone asked me to say something to the audience. And I stood up and said something like, I don't understand it. How President Johnson can send troops to Vietnam but cannot send troops to Selma, Alabama to protect people whose only desire is to register to vote. The next thing I knew, I had been admitted to the local hospital in Selma, unquote. The scenes on the bridge shocked the nation, emboldening leaders in Washington to pass the Voting Rights Act five months later. John Lewis and all the others who left their church buildings to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge that day were people who truly knew what being a people of the covenant and followers of Jesus was all about. They understood that being a person of faith was about far more than going to church on Sunday. They knew that what you do when you leave the doors of your church is as important as what you do inside them. They knew that being a child of God means living as God calls us to live, loving God, loving neighbor, loving self. It wasn't something doctrinal. It was an identity, an identity rooted in covenant, in relationship with God. Being a child of God is an identity given freely to all of us the moment we are born. And that means we are meant to be in relationship with God and one another. We are essentially baptized in those birth waters into a creation of love for love. And God calls us again and again and again to return home to who we are. To be the beloved child of God we are called to be. And to live into that promise for ourselves and for our neighbors. The role of, the, of faith, the role of the church... The whole purpose of God's interactions with us through the course of history is to remind us of that, to remind us of who we are. That's what Lent is all about, too. Returning home to who we are. It's about remembering our identities as those who claim to be followers of Jesus and what that really means for us. Because... Being a Christian isn't about rules, doctrine, or dogma. Not really. They are the things we would do naturally and freely if we truly understood who we are. And so they remind us of our identity. Being a Christian isn't about committees or vestries, dioceses, conventions. And they, they offer us a way to serve Christ together. But being a follower of Jesus is about what we do in the world 
and what we do here. It is about loving neighbor, fighting for the oppressed, working to bring people out of the dark corners of marginalization, speaking out against anyone or any system that seeks to harm any child of God. It is loving God through loving what God has entrusted to us, working to ensure that creation, the animals, the earth, the sea, and the sky is treated with respect and cared for, being the good stewards God asked us to be. And it is about loving God and loving ourselves, remembering to honor the Sabbath by taking time to come here, to give thanks for all that we are given, to be nourished with the body and blood of Christ, to be strengthened by the fellowship of community, and to remember that we are loved unconditionally and for all time just as we are. That is what it means to follow Jesus. Representative John Lewis and the others knew that. They knew that as they bravely marched across that bridge on that Sunday in March of 1965. And many years later, Representative Lewis often said when speaking about that moment, get in good trouble, necessary trouble, and redeem the soul of America. That's a good message for us, too. The commandments are a covenant, a reminder of what our identity means, that we are beloved children of God, called into a relationship of love with our Creator and with all of God's creation. To live into this covenant, followers of Jesus must live as he modeled for us. And that will take coming here for strength and restoration at this table, and then leaving from here and getting into some good trouble, necessary trouble, for the redemption of the world and of our own souls. Amen.